you have your Bible, I hope you do, I want to encourage and invite you to open it to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7, that's in the New Testament. If you go all the way almost to the end and you start scrolling back a few, you will find Hebrews chapter 7 as we continue our study through the book of Hebrews. We took a a brief pause at the end of last year to go into Advent, and then we talked about biblical community last week. And so this week, it has been uh, my task to bring back and start restart us again on Hebrews chapter 7, and that will be the the book of Scripture that we will find ourselves in for uh, until June as we continue to study through this book verse by verse. I want to talk this morning, the the text very clearly is about our high priest and how Jesus, it is fitting that Jesus is our high priest. And so what we're going to look at here is we're going to look at a comparison. Hebrews chapter 7 verses 26 through 28, they're a comparison between the Old Testament priesthood and the priesthood of Christ. And so I thought of an illustration to kind of help you understand where this sermon is headed. So if you get this illustration, then you will actually understand the text of verses 26 through 28. When I was a young man, my grandfather, uh, my grandfather and grandmother, they used to love to shop at this place called Sam's Club. They love buying in bulk and Sam's Club is all about buying in bulk. And so grandma and grandpa would take me to Sam's Club and we would go into this Sam's Club and grandma would actually go do all the shopping because grandfather and I had some different priorities lined up for the day. And this was back when Sam's Club had, you know, that one employee uh, with a station, like every three aisles. And what were they giving away? Do you remember? Okay, some of you in here know the, know the plan that grandfather and I had when we would go into Sam's Club. And so grandpa and I, we would go and we would travel through Sam's Club and we would take samples. And we would eat the samples. And the, the idea of a sample is to give you a small taste of something that you could buy in bulk at Sam's Club. And here's the deal. Grandpa and I, we would just make our way around the store until grandma was done. And if there was something really good, like there was a really good sample, G-Money, that's what I called my grandfather, by the way, it was G-Money. G-Money knew how to get a double sample. And he would walk up, he's like, Jeremy, did you like whatever? I was like, yes, sir, I did. And he's like, all right, let's go get another one. I was like, wow, they're going to know who we are. He says, don't worry, grandson, watch and learn from the master. And he would walk up. He said, you know, ma'am or sir, um, we're really considering buying this item in bulk. But I think we need one more test just to verify if this is something that we are interested in buying. And the Samson Club person was like, oh, we're making a sale. Yes, sir, please take another. We'd be like, yeah, thank you. And then he's like, "Mm." he says, well, I'll keep thinking about it. And he would walk away. And I'm like, Grandpa, you are the man. He taught me a lot about samples in that time in my life. <laughs> grazing. But you know what I found out? Speaking of grazing, when I found out about Sam's Club, when you would take the samples, I felt like sometimes I would leave hungrier than I came in. You know, because you're like getting the appetizer, but not the meal. And so I'd be almost like, oh, that was really great appetizer, but now I'm really hungry. And thankfully, Grandma, she just she knew that that was going to happen. So she would always make a big lunch or dinner after we got back from Sam's Club to feed the appetites that had been built up as we would travel to the store eating samples. You see, the idea of a sample shows us what Jesus, as our high priest, is all about when we compare the Old Testament priesthood to the priesthood of Jesus. The Old Testament priesthood, when you when you read through Scripture, and I encourage you to to read through Scripture with us, that's what our equip groups are doing this year, is we are reading through the whole Bible in a year. 
And when you get to those Levitical laws, when you get to the, the priesthood of the Old Testament, I want you to know that the Old Testament priesthood is kind of like a Sam's sample. It's good, but it's not great. It's good, but it doesn't truly fulfill. And the, and the idea in God's sovereignty and in God's grace, what he did is he said, I'm going to give you a, a glimpse of this Old Testament priesthood, this Levitical system as a means to give you a sample of what is to come. And specifically of who is to come. And of who is to come is Jesus. And that this Old Testament system was designed to point us to a greater and a grander high priest. And so my task this morning, I believe, is from this text, is to give you a bigger picture of how Jesus is our superior and more fulfilling high priest from the old, than, than the Old Testament. I'm going to give you the bulk, if you will. I'm going to give you the meal instead of a small taste of the sample. So let's read through this. Now that you kind of understand how the, the text is going to work itself out, there's going to be the comparison between the Old Testament and the Jesus of the New Testament, the high priestly office of Jesus of the New Testament, you'll be able to see this passage more clearly. Verse 26, read along with me. It says, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all, when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. But the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. This is the word of the Lord. What I love about the author's writing in verse 26 is, is look what he says at the very outset of these verses. He says, for it was indeed fitting that we should have a high priest. Notice what he says here. What, what, the, what the author of Hebrews is doing, if you recall from last year, when we, when we studied through Hebrews 7, we were introduced to the priestly order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek has like four verses in Genesis, one verse in Psalm 110. And, and we were introduced to this idea of the Melchizedek order. And then we compared how Jesus is the superior and greater, how Melchizedek pointed to Jesus. And then the author here gives us a teaching on David's writing in Psalm 110 verse 4. And now what the author does is he connects everything that he just taught to us. Look what he says. He says, it was indeed fitting that what? We... He's talking to Christians. He's talking to the, the church. He says that it's fitting that we should have such a high priest. Why? That's the question that we need to ask ourselves. Why is it fitting that we have such a high priest in Jesus? In other words, instead of trying to create a bunch of intellectually smart people, he takes what he has just taught and he applies it to the life of us today but also the people that he originally wrote this letter to. So I want to explain to you how Jesus is more fitting as our high priest. What makes Jesus so good? What makes Jesus so fitting for you and for me? And so there's three things I want you to see that come out of these verses. We're going to look at three of them. I'm going to give you the, the over highlights, and then we're going to dive into them in more depth. Number one, we're going to see the character of Jesus. So if you take notes, this is what you want to see. Number one, the character of Jesus, verse 26. Number two, what Jesus accomplished, verse 27. 
And number three, we see the status of Jesus in verse 28. So first off, let's look at the character of Jesus. In verse 26, he says, it is indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest. Well, who is this high priest that we know it's Jesus? But what is what makes it what makes him so fitting for us? He says this holy, innocent, unstained. Now, this is amazing to think about. The, all, the, the, the whole purpose of 26 is he's showing the character of Jesus. And this is what he is trying to show us this morning. He's trying to show us that Jesus, as our high priest, is sinless. Jesus has no sin. The descriptors there show us his sinlessness, his character. He is holy. He is innocent. He is without guile or guilt. And he is unstained. He hasn't been stained by, the, by, by sin and the sinful nature because he was born Both fully God and fully man. We see the sinlessness of Jesus here. But notice what else he says. He says he is separated from sinners. Now, what is the author trying to say here? Is the author trying to say that because of his sinlessness, he has no ability to resonate with you and me? Well, the answer is absolutely not. We're going to look later on, but we're going to see that Jesus was tempted in every way that we are, but yet was without what? Sin. And that's going to come in very important when we look at his accomplishments. For us. So it's not saying that he's separated from sinners, that he is he is in some way never connected to us. What it's talking about here is it's saying that because of his sinlessness and because of what he did, now Jesus has been exalted as our high priest to sit at the right hand of the Father. So right now Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. And look at verse 25. What is Jesus doing? He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God. Through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Yes. So Jesus is making intercession for us right now in heaven. That's why it makes him such a great high priest. That's what makes him so grand and glorious. Is he's not here. But that does not mean he leaves us here as orphans. What did Jesus say before he ascended into heaven? Do you remember? I will tell you if you don't remember. He said, behold, I am with you always, even to the what? To the end of the age. So although Jesus is not present here physically, his presence is here with us spiritually. He fills us with his spirit. He says, I am with you, even though I may not be right here Physically with you. He's separated from sinners. That's what it's talking. It's talking about where Jesus is now. Because we see that next. Because he says he is exalted above the heavens. Think about that for a moment. Think about Jesus' sinlessness for a moment. You know, no Old Testament priest would have ever had the audacity to walk up to their people and be like, I'm holy. What would you do if you came into the church today and Pastor Kyle and I, we got up and we're like, hey, you know what, guys, we just want to let everybody in here know I'm holy and I'm innocent and I'm unstained. What would you think about us? You'd be like, we're leaving. They're flashy. Now, don't get me wrong. I have heard some preachers preach as if they were Jesus. Makes me feel dirty when they do it. But the idea here is that when we look at the sinlessness of Jesus, what it actually does is it shows us our sinfulness. 
I think when we look at the sinlessness of Jesus, we actually begin to see our flaws. We begin to go, hmm, I'm not holy. I am very stained. I am not innocent. I, I have guilt. I feel guilt. I understand that when I look at the sinless and perfection of Jesus, I see the sin and the imperfection in me. So what does Jesus do for me? I'm glad you asked. Verse 27. Look what the sinless Savior does for his people. So we go from his character to his accomplishment. Verse 27. He has no need, like those other high priests from the Old Testament, to offer sacrifices daily. First for his own sins, (coughs) and then for those of the people. So let me kind of give you a little Old Testament context to help you understand how the Old Testament priesthood was a sample of Jesus' greatness. In the Old Testament, uh, specifically on the Day of Atonement. So once a year, the Israelite people would get together on the Day of Atonement. And it was the high priest's job to cleanse himself first. So the high priest would have to go. He'd have to cleanse himself. He would have to sacrifice for his own sins in order to make that kind of declaration that I have done everything for me. So now I can stand before God and take care of the people. And so on the Day of Atonement, he would sacrifice for himself. He would take care of his own sin, and then he would go and he would sacrifice an animal for the people. And the author here says something very interesting. He says he has no need like those priests to offer sacrifices daily. So the Day of Atonement actually took place once a year. But I think what the author is trying to show us, and some uh, some of the books that were written after the Bible talk about Um, talk about some of the ways that the priests would actually try to make sacrifices for themselves before they would go and work on behalf of the people. The idea was this. The idea is that these priests of the Old Testament were not sinless. And so what they would have to do is they'd have to pay for their sins before they could pay for the sins of the people. But is that the case with Jesus? Absolutely not. Look what Jesus does. It says he doesn't have to go offer His own sins and then for those of the people. Because he did this once and for all when he offered up who? Himself. We have a child in our house that likes to tell dad jokes. I can't help it. He likes to tell dad jokes. So he told me a dad joke this week. And I thought, you know what? I'll share it with you. I'll share it with you guys as well. Because this helps us to understand what, what the author is actually saying here. He said, Dad, question for you. I said, yes, son. He said, Mary was the virgin mother of Jesus, correct? I said, yes, son, very good. I'm like patting myself on the back, like, way to go, dad, be the disciple maker. And he says, okay, but the Bible says that Jesus was the Lamb of God, is the Lamb of God. I said, yes, son, that is correct. He says, so then, logically, dad, does that mean that Mary had a little lamb? I said, yeah, logically, that makes sense. You see, the reason why I point that out is because unlike the priest of the Old Testament, the Old Testament priest had to make a sacrifice of a lamb without blemish. But what Jesus does as our high priest is he sacrifices himself as the lamb without blemish. That's why when John the Baptist sees Jesus coming, he says, behold, the what? Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We look at Revelation and we see them praising God. We say praise to the lamb who was 
slain and reconciled a people to himself. The idea is that the way, when we look at our flawlessness, when we look at how uninnocent and stained we truly are, and when we look at Jesus, we see a sinless Savior who became our sacrifice. That's why it's fitting. That's why it's fitting that we indeed have a high priest like Jesus. Instead of Jesus sacrificing a lamb for us, Jesus was the lamb who was sacrificed sacrificed for us. He didn't have to sacrifice for himself. He had no sin. And that's the beauty of the cross. The cross is where our sin was taken care of. The cross is where your sin and my sin, our unholiness, our guilt, our shame, our sin-stained lives was taken care of. And it wasn't taken care of by the blood of a real animal. It was taken care of by the blood of the lamb. So ask yourself the question, well, how many times does Jesus have to die for me? Well, look what the text says. Once for all. So how many times did Jesus have to die for you? That's how powerful our high priest is. Thank you. Thank you. That's how powerful our... You know, I love this word once for all here in the Greek language. Because uh, it's actually one word in the Greek. It's the word epopox. It just kind of sounds like exclamation point to me, doesn't it? To you? Epopox is the Greek word there. And I'm like, I'm like, man... It's once and for all. So when Jesus dies for your sins, he died for your sins that one time on the cross. And it takes care of all your sin. Isn't that good news? I always think about it like this in my own life. Could you imagine like, I mean, I know how much I sin in my days. And I'm sure you probably know how much you sin in your days. But could you imagine if like Jesus is sitting up in heaven with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And he's like, Jeremy, why did you do that again? Holy Spirit, go get a bull. We got to take care of this guy. And then like two hours later, I do something, you know, maybe two hours. I'm giving myself some modesty here, right? So maybe two hours later, he was like, uh, he's like, oh, he did it again. All right, go get another sacrifice for Jeremy. He's really messing it up today. That's not how Jesus works. Jesus goes, I got him. I got him. I got him. I took care of that. I took care of that. Oh, I took care of that. And I took care of that on the cross for him and for you. So what do we do with this? See, I think there's two types of people sitting in our presence right now. The first type of person in this room, I think, sometimes that struggles with understanding the full concept of Jesus' priestly role and Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf is sometimes, I think, we have people sitting in our rooms that they think themselves to be without need for the priest. In other words, they put themselves in the priestly role. They say to themselves, well, I'm a good person. I've never cheated. I've never committed adultery. I never murdered nobody. I'm not sexually immoral. So I'm a good guy. Like we believe, right? We believe that's why Luke Bryan, that most people are good, right? Like wrong. That's exactly antithetical. Actually, most people are bad. And I wouldn't even say most people are bad. I would say all people are bad. We are naturally sinful people. Did anybody teach your children how to sin? They figured that out on their own. And guess what? They're pretty good at it, aren't they, parents? Some of you older parents, right? You see it too. Don't say anything, mom. 
See, that's the bad thing about having your mom in the, in the audience. <laughs> right? The idea is that we are not good people. We are naturally prone towards our sinfulness. But yet, what we do, some of us in our, in our mind, some of us think, well, I don't need a high priest because what I'm going to do is I'll be the high priest for myself. And this is where religion and the religious people get in trouble. This is why Jesus gets on to the religious people all the time in his earthly ministry. Because they believe wrongly that they can earn and work their way to heaven by just simply being good enough. Let me give you a newsflash. You will never be good enough to to draw yourself close to God. That's why the high priest came. And I know that gets kind of discombobulated in our American work ethic. In our American desire for the American dream that we think, well, I can just work myself up from the bottom. I can just work myself. And that might work well in certain areas of our lives, but that does not work when it comes to your salvation. Because you can't be the priest that you need to be to draw near to God. That's why God had to send the priest down for you and me. That's the first thing. Some people in here, they they just think in their pride, well, I don't need a high priest. But the answer is, yes, you do. Because we all do. And the good news is Jesus became that high priest for us. Secondly, I think there's people in this room that have a, have a real struggle. They have a real struggle and they think to themselves, can Jesus really save me though? These are people that have, typically have pasts. And they come in and are like, yeah, well, Jesus can save all these nice, wonderful people in here, but can he really, can he really save me? Does he really have the power to save me from all my sin? If, if only everybody knew the sin that I have committed, the debauchery or the sexual morality or that divorce I had or that thought I did or that thing I did or that murder I, com- I committed or whatever it may be. We think to ourselves, can God really save me? And we come into the, to these services feeling the guilt and the weight of our shame and we go, is there anyone who can really save me from what I've done? Well, guess what? His name is Jesus. And in fact, he can. I used to feel this way when I would go, when Katie and I were starting to, when God was starting to bring us back to himself. I would walk in and I'd feel, I'd walk into services and I'd hear people preach about, you know, religion or I'd help hear people preach about, you know, what sin is. And I'd be like, yeah, I get that. I get that. And then I would feel this weight and the shame and this guilt. And I'm like, but can anybody save me from it? And it was finally when Jason Bringer started to preach grace into those sermons. When Jason Bringer started to begin to preach, this is what grace does. Grace has the ability through our high priest to save any and all sins once and for all. So I want you to know today, if you came in and you're carrying guilt and shame with you because of your past or because of your sin, I want you to know that there is a high priest who loves you. And he says, because of what he did, because he offered up himself, he says, through my blood, I will erase it all. That ledger will go from red to white. Don't ever walk out of here not knowing the grace of our high priest. And he will will free you and he will relieve you of any and all guilt that you are feeling right now. And the beauty of our high priest is that he makes us holy. He makes us innocent and he makes us unstained. Because of what he did. Lastly here we see his status. So we see his character in verse 26. We see his accomplishment in verse 27. And in verse 28 we see his status. Look what it says in verse 28. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. I love this real quick. He 
He says uh, the law, uh, Kent Hughes called it divine instruction. So the Old Testament law identified who was going to be the high priest. Started with uh, Aaron and through that lineage and through the Levite, the tribe of Levi, they become high priests. So what would happen in their weakness when a high priest would die, guess what would happen? Another high priest would take his place. So think about it in terms of the cities of refuge. If you ever read about cities of refuge in the Levitical law, a city of refuge was a place where if you committed manslaughter, that means if you accidentally killed somebody, that if you committed that accidental killing, what would happen is God put aside a couple of cities for you to go and hide in a city of refuge. And you would be able to go into that city of refuge and you'd be protected from the family members of those who might want to extract vengeance upon your blood for taking their blood. And so it was actually designed to really prevent murder and vengeance. But how long did they have to stay there in the city of refuge? Does anybody know? A little, huh? I heard a little whisper and then I said, huh, and they, nope. Until the high priest died. When the high priest died and they put a new high priest in, then they were able, they would be able to leave the city of refuge. And so the idea here is what it's talking about is showing us, the Old Testament is showing us that when, that these high priests didn't have the ability in their weaknesses as death and sinners. They didn't have the ability to fulfill the job to its fullest. So somebody had to come and fill the job to the fullest. And who is that somebody? Jesus. But look, it says here, it says that in their weaknesses, the law appointed them. But the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Let me, let me just kind of share with you. I think... God is going to apply his priestly office to you all very differently. But here's one of the things that I thought about this year, this week, as I was studying for this sermon, and John Piper kind of pulled it out a little bit as I was thinking through it. So I'll give him credit. John, if you're watching. He's not watching, just so you don't know. Be nice if he was. But I thought to myself, how often do I try to be the priest of my children? How often do I try to be their priests and, and force them towards Jesus? Now, I'm not saying I shouldn't disciple them towards Jesus, but how often am I trying to be their priest, to be the mediator between them and God? Instead, saying, how about I leave it, them into God's hands? How about I just faithfully lead and disciple them, but I let God do the work in their hearts and their lives? And this is where, this is where oftentimes that I struggle as one of your pastors is, is I struggle because I'm always praying, like, I'm not afraid of death. Like when we sing up here about how death has lost its sting and the grave has no claim on me, like you'll see me raise my hands because that's where like life is found in Jesus. But I always say this to God. I said, I don't mind dying and I'm not afraid to die. Just don't let me die yet. And the reason I want you to die yet is because I have five children. We have five children that we need to raise. And I don't want to leave them as orphans. I don't want to leave them because I want to lead them to you. And I thought to myself, well, that's a pretty weak way of thinking about it. Because guess what? Even if I died, guess who's still the high priest? If I died, guess who is still in charge of my children's lives? If I died, guess who still gives them breath today? If I died, guess who can draw them to himself and to his father who is in heaven? Jesus. And so may we think of our high priest in that kind of position and that status that he is not a high priest that just says, I'm a high priest today and I might not be tomorrow. He is a high priest that lasts forever. 
And how did he get this position? How did he get this status? Well, instead of the law appointing him, the oath pointed him. And the oath there is the the covenant, the promise that God had made in Psalm 110 verse 4, which you can look at with me in Hebrews 7 verse 21 if you have your Bible. This is what the oath is. This is what the promise that was made is. Verse 21, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Who is the you? Jesus. He says, Jesus, you are a priest forever. That the oath, that divine instruction was about how to get high priests in the Old Testament. But a divine oath was what got Jesus to be the high priest, high priest our high priest, forever. You see that? It appoints a son who has been made perfect. How long? Forever. Think about this, brothers and sisters. Our high priest is interceding for us right now forever. He is drawing us closer to God right now forever. And Jesus is not going to turn around one day and be like, you know what? I'm, I'm done. I'm out. He's like, no, no, I'm going to do this forever. I'm going to constantly draw my people to God forever. And his forever status as high priest means that you and I can have confidence in our salvation and new life in Jesus. That Jesus is never going to walk out on you. That Jesus is never going to abandon you. In fact, Jesus is going to take care of you as your high priest from now until he comes back. And then forever and ever. Aren't you thankful to have a high priest like that? Aren't you thankful to have a high priest that you can go to with anything and know that he is there? That he's listening, that he is with you? You don't even have to set up an appointment with Jesus. Do you know that? You don't have to get on his Google calendar. You can just pray to him. And our high priest is faithful to hear you right then and there. And then what does he do with it? Then he makes his intercessions to God for you. Aren't you thankful? And I think what that should do to us as Christians. When we see the status of our high priest, what that should do to us as Christians is that should make us want to worship even more. It makes me think of what Jesus said. When I understand, when we see the the grander and glory picture of him as our high priest, it makes me understand more fully what he taught when he said, if you want to follow me, pick up your cross. In other words, when you see Jesus and when he's truly done for you as your priest, you say, Lord, I see your grace in Jesus. And therefore, out of my love and my gratitude for Jesus, what I want to do is I want to be better at dying to myself and living for you. You see, worship is not something we just do on Sunday mornings. Worship for the Christian is something we do every day with our lives. That's why Paul, I had you read Paul in Romans 12.1. So when you get up in the morning, worship. When you work, worship. When you parent, worship. When you talk to your spouse, worship. When you talk to your friends, worship. And the way that we do this is by honoring and glorifying God in how we obey Him in our worship of Him throughout our day. That's why Paul says, whether you eat or drink or do whatever you do, do all to the what? To the glory of God. And how can you do that? Well, you do that because you see Jesus in all of his beauty as our high priest. I believe this text leads us to appropriate and proper worship of him. A worship that says, I'm willing to worship with every 
fiber of my being and every aspect of my life. So what about you? Can that characterize or summarize your week this week? Are you a worshiper 24-7? Because I think sometimes what we do is we minimize Jesus and we fit him into a compartment and we say, we're only going to give you this small piece of our lives instead of saying, I'm going to give you all of my life because you have given all of your life for me. So how do you respond to a message like this? I think three ways. Number one, if you're here today and you're saying, Jeremy, I I realize that I have put faith in myself. That I have tried to replace Jesus as the high priest with my own priestly office. And I want you to know that Jesus is ready and stands willing to bring you into his grace and his goodness and to the relationship with his father by repenting of trusting in yourself and beginning to trust in him. To trust in his sinlessness and his sacrifice. Number two, if you're here today and you're like, Jeremy, I have so much guilt I'm carrying this guilt with me, but finally I I see the grace of my high priest. I finally see the grace of Jesus, and I want that all to be alleviated. I want to trust in what Jesus has done and see that guilt and that shame removed. And I want you to know, after the service, come talk to me. If If you're uncomfortable talking to me, come talk to Pastor Kyle. If you're uncomfortable talking to one of the pastors here, then talk to a partner that you are friends with and say, how do I start my next steps in following this high priest that Jeremy has talked about? How do, I, how do I put my trust in the salvation of Jesus so that my guilt and my shame will be gone? And we'd be loved to walk with you and talk with you through that. And then lastly, ask yourself the question, how does Jesus' priestly office impact your life today? I don't know how the... I, I was trying to think through like various ways in which the priestly office could impact all of us, and I just don't know. Because I don't know what you're dealing with. But guess what? I know a high priest who does. He knows exactly what you're dealing with. And he knows how this message is going to impact and apply to your life as you leave here today. And so in order to allow God to freely speak to you, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I'm going to give you one minute. One minute to go to this high priest with anything that's on your heart. If you're struggling with your job, if you're struggling with a spouse or a wayward child, if you're struggling with something that's going in your heart, a thought that you have, a desire that's ungodly, I want you to know with confidence this morning that you can take it to your high priest. And he stands ready to draw you near to God. So you take time now. Father, I just pray for these brothers and sisters in here today. Lord, as we thought through the comparison between the Old Testament priesthood and the priesthood of Jesus, and we saw how indeed it was fitting 
that we should have such a high priest. One who was sinless. So he could take care of our sin. And he serves as our priest, as your son, forever. Father, this week, may we meditate on that truth. May it impact our hearts and our lives. But also, would it drive us to tell others about this great high priest? The one who not only saved us, but can also has the power to save them and give them life and life abundantly. So, Father, continue to move as we prepare our hearts to take communion, to reflect upon the sacrifice of our high priest who paid it once and for all for us. As we get ready to come to the table, Paul told us we need to examine ourselves. So may we all take an honest assessment and examine ourselves to ensure that we are coming with the right hearts. That we are coming because of our trust in the priest who saved us. Who made the way. Who was the bridge. The only bridge to reconcile us to you, our Father, who is in heaven. Whose name is will be honored as holy. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.